So I completely messed up on last week's podcast. Oh, how's that? Um, dude, uh, I think we both did. I'm gonna put you in here too, not to not to blow you up, but we completely forgot to talk about the ending of Jungle Fever last week. You know what? Yeah. Now that I think about it, because we <laughs> I remember talking about Gators Dance, but no, we didn't cover just the oh daddy, I suck your dick for five dollars. No, <laughs> that's like the whole reason why this movie is so fa- that movie is so famous. So, you know, well, I guess we can say this. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, again for another week at the Zoomcast podcast. Thank you so much. Happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. We're still rolling with us. So um, I'm Vernon, by the way. I'm Ron. Um, and yeah, like we said, this is the, or not the start. This is the second week of Black History Month. And we were mentioning earlier about Jungle Fever. You maybe have a chance to catch it right there. Should be like the one audio clip right before this one. You'd be able to listen to it and get caught up. Mm-hmm. But again, we completely messed up that ending. Like we talked about like everything but the ending of that movie. But you know, to be fair though, I I feel like well, spoilers aside, I feel like that movie's ending is kind of that was like what the fifth subplot that Spike Lee threw in the movie. Yeah, because even looking back at it, the daughter was always a constant, but I felt like it was more at least up to the very end. His daughter was more just a kind of a plot device to for him to like zoom in on his own failures. Like the first walk, taking her to school, and he doesn't even say anything. And she's like, "Oh, daddy, what's wrong? You usually talk." So yeah, no, it, it was the fifth subplot, but I, I do feel like the daughter really didn't take center stage until around the end when he like saw the prostitute and then he shook her. But yeah, no, because I feel like just, just just real quick, what that what that ending scene encapsulates. Because since we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week, I make it really fast here. In so many words, Flip does move back in with his wife, and um. He wakes up, you know, regular morning with his daughter and they're having a great day. But beforehand, I believe he had, what was it, the nightmare about the um, prostitute or? Uh, I think so. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, and he keeps seeing random prostitutes out and he's like, move. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So he's taking his daughter to school. And I think what really makes it poignant is, I won't say they look alike, but the um, prostitute that he saw this time around. She was like the same complexion as his daughter. Yeah. And you can kind of like get the vibe that she is like a, kind of like a dark future. Older it's an allegory or something for black fathers not yeah, being around. Not being there and sucking penis, I guess. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that was really just his ultimate struggle near the end of the movie because he was really just focused on the impact he was having on his daughter because like the ones that were like, what, what am I even doing here? Like, like, like why am I even here? So I, I do feel like that, that ending scene really was just the possible impact that you know black fathers being absent with their daughters and just and just their children in general what that could become you know the daughter possibly being a prostitute you know if he had a son he'd probably be like turn towards gangs and drugs and things like that so i think that the really the, the point of that was really just to encapsulate how important a black father is at the end of the day and how ruinous it can be if he's not falling through on his job like flip was afraid of doing yeah um black fathers can really they really be slipping up in the community, and like we were talking about, uh, well, not all black fathers, but of course, you mm-hmm. know, of the course, ones that course. just don't pick up the job, obviously. Right, shout out to the ones that do. Yeah. All three um, of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Two on the back. We appreciate you. Um, but no, that was just a quick aside, because I, I realized in the editing bay, I was like, oh, shoot, we right. totally forgot to talk about that. So like, for the few of you that cared about having an ending to that podcast, or ta- us talking about the ending, I just wanted to give you the heads up of like, no, we, I didn't forget. I 
we just gotta I mean he gotta catch this next episode that's all that's yeah. <laughs> hey. little, little breadcrumbs <laughs> we're trailing you along the way like <laughs> <laughs> come a little closer nah dude uh, a lot has happened um, lately here I mean of course yeah. I'm happy to be here for our Black History Month you know extravaganza ganza ganza of course ecstatic uh, <laughs> really uh, but uh, Getting here was really it was the struggles, man. Um, <laughs> my computer died because recently um, we bought some new equipment here at the Zoomcast Studio, and uh, um, and getting this new equipment set up, I had to download it to my uh, play or my PlayStation. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I had to download it to the PlayStation. No, to my to my uh, a PC. Right. And my PC was like four years old, so it just mm. went deuces, boy. <laughs> we out of here. <laughs> it's been nice. <laughs> so you got the techno virus. Like. I had to factory reset the entire computer, so oh, wow. I lo- I didn't lose our audio files or anything like that. Mm. I kept those personal. I'm thinking I really should take them off that laptop so I can have our previous audio files and stuff. Right. But as far as like using as a reliable computer, there's no way I can use it as a reliable computer anymore. So that's why we had to upgrade here. So. We're upgrading, putting mm-hmm. ourselves back into what we used to do with the podcast. It was Apple products, you know. Apple yeah. products, they'd be just stupid, bro. We wasted like, I don't know, like 25 minutes trying to get this thing <laughs> to damn work. Like <laughs> But goddamn, if we're not professional now, like <laughs> it's gonna be amazing because we, we are gonna get cameras set up here pretty soon for you guys, but our setup is just way better now. Cause before just to like put myself out there, I was like talking to like a little like Samson mic that had like pretty much like be at like a 40 degree angle with my body to even be heard <laughs> so now we, we actually have you know we have XLR mics you know we have setups now we have pop filters and we're our, our table setup is kind of shitty but that's on my part so right now we're kind of just holding uh, them like staffs but we'll get it way all better. figured out you we're know way more comfortable and it's going to lead to a way better product for you guys and hopefully we sound a lot better for you all too i hope so too please um, give us feedback on uh con- maybe a, a bit of a divisive film maybe you like to say i, I don't know maybe so, yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of divisive uh but spike lee is just a divisive person we did him last week we talked about interracial relationships as it pertained to you know his view of that and our experiences interracial relationships so this week we're talking about corporate America, mm-hmm. we're talking about the black experience for people um, and the viewpoint of, of how people view our blackness outside of just ourselves. So I feel like the movie that encapsulates this the best and what we're talking about this week, another Spike Lee joint, is Bamboozled. Just before we even get into this, just back to you saying Spike Lee is a very divisive person. I feel like he remember back in the days when like X, you know, XXX Tentacion first came out and you hear it and you know you just want to flip cars, do a whole bunch yeah, of stupid yeah. shit. Spike Lee has that same impact, but in a different way. Like it, as a black person, I'm sure a lot of people you, you all can attest to this. As a black person, you watch a Spike Lee movie and by the end of it. You want to just hit everybody who's a different race than you. We like, were just talking about that at a friend's <laughs> house. We have some white friends, and they don't really get the anger. I mean, why would they get the anger? Of I mean, course. not to say that white people can't have empathy. That's like a really dark thing to say that they no, can't of course, have empathy. Yeah. Um, because I'm sure everyone goes through different experiences and all that stuff as well. But it's like we were talking about that just exactly, exactly that. Exactly. Of like, dang, man, my, you know, watching 12 Years a Slave. Watching mm-hmm. uh, a black struggle movie, and and although those are tired, and I think this movie also kind of talks about 
the tiredness of that depiction. It definitely does, yes. Um, but I think that watching these films, the films that you grew up in school with, you know, My Friend Martin, yeah. uh, like I said, 12 Years a Slave, uh, Mississippi Burning. I mean, there's a lot of movies that, you know, talk about the black experience and and the tragedy of those and like the disrespectful white people that they hire to do these damn roles. There is the bro. There are some people who I, I do not want to see you on site, bro. I don't know. I, I know the face. I don't know the name, but if I ever saw you, bro, I'm drop kicking you, bro. bro I want to fucking fight Michael Rappaport so bad. <laughs> dog. Like, <laughs> and dude, did you hear that? Like, I, I think, uh, I think you, we were talking about this too in reference to this because FD signifier shout yes. out to FD signifier. He made a really excellent video essay about this film. And that was, uh, from my understanding, your inspiration to start the film or to um, uh, review the film. Yeah. But basically, he was talking about, and I think it was on his video. I did watch the whole video. Mm-hmm. And I, Michael Rappaport and Spike Lee don't even talk anymore, bro. Yeah, I saw that part of the video. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I believe he was saying something along the lines of, like, it's, it's hard to tell Michael Rappaport is acting or not because he even, like, pulled, like, interviews and examples of Michael Rappaport being on black podcasts and black spaces. And that's really just how that nigga talks like and that's wild to me and you know i would i would love to get, like kind of get I'll, I'll save some of my thoughts before we get into the pie of course, here. yes um but i have a lot of thoughts about those types of people because we know those types of white people yes we do and there's a lot of type of white people who think that just because you live in the ghetto that or whatever that mm-hmm. you have an excuse to do and say whatever you want um or just because you have certain things that's you know that's I would love to get more into that when we get into oh, yeah. the film there. But sh- again, shout out to FD Signifier. Um, excellent video essay that breaks down this movie. He's he, That nigga's got a degree. I don't have a degree. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can break it down a little bit, but I feel like uh, the, the the goal today and the goal for this month is to more share about personal experiences exactly, exactly. and things that we could give to you that no one else has because there's only one of us. Exactly. That. So I think that's a good thing for us to talk about today. So, yeah. Want you to kind of dig in? Yeah. Man, I love my wife and kids. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I thought about when I saw Marlon Wayans as uh, Mr. Um, this was, I forget uh, Pierre his name. De La Pierre Cruz. Delacroix. Delacroix, yes, yes, yes. Ah, uh, and this is like, I think this is definitely an earlier role for him. Um, this is, I but yeah, I remember seeing Marlon Wayans growing up with my wife and kids mm-hmm. and stuff like this and um and that was like when i first started to see him and so it's kind of hard to separate him from that role but i know he was in in living color and a bunch of other things before all this but he's playing this character here that is kind of quote i hate this terminology but the Mm. oreo black man yeah yeah no and it's very intentional because even when this movie starts you know he's going through his like little american psycho morning routine when he's like shaving his head and talking about his day and all that. And even just the way he speaks and presents himself, he speaks in a very manufactured way. It, you can tell it's not real. Like even the way exactly. he talks, he's like, oh yes, my name is Pierre de la Croix. I work at this company and I my goal is just to make it. Like he he speaks like somebody who, in my mind, what I had in my notes is just somebody who He's already in the midst of selling his soul if, if it already isn't gone. And I feel that this is what this is the caricature that I think that when black people say, oh, you're acting white or Absolutely. you're acting this way. I feel like that is what in their head they see. 
And I feel like this is actually acting like something that you're not, because this is, I feel like he's separating himself entirely. And not to say that blackness is, and that's the whole, uh, what I'm trying to say is a critique about that, that type of mindset. It's not that blackness needs to be, you know, the yo-yo, hippity hoppity, whatever yeah, type yeah. of mindset, which is like very stereotypical. Right. But it also, you can't just completely run and be ashamed of yourself, I guess, run away from who you are, individually speaking, just to hide away from your blackness. It's like, you're trying to be such an individual. We were talking about this on the last podcast, mm -hmm. the individuality versus the aspects of being black and how people perceive us right. and our decisions. But I feel like he's such a, like you were saying, he talks like this and he has this type of, it, it, it's, it's like he's so, he's really trying to separate himself from anything that could relate to him being black as an identity at all period to the point where he's just he's literally a character no literally. he is a character in this entire film it's just a, a a strange character no exactly that because we'll get into it when we actually do get into um his father and character later in the movie but just to tap tap onto that point when he does meet his dad later in the film he even says where the hell did you get that accent you know like anyone who anyone who has known him personally before he tried to go for this rise to power, everyone is off put by how he's talking, and how he's acting. You know, it's very much of like, who are you kind of way, you know, you're not really down to earth. And that's kind of what it is. Like, he's not a down to earth type of person. He's not really a he's not really real. It seems like mm -hmm. and the movie uh, tackles that right away. It does. If you, if you can get into it a little bit, like mm -hmm. you, you find out that he works at the network and his whole thing is. He's trying to make a show. You know, of course, like, like, like anybody, knows, he's just trying to make. He's trying to get his name out there. And the first stark contrast you see is his boss, which is Mr. Dumbwitty, played by Michael Rappaport, who I said, I really want to fucking fight. And <laughs> he plays it so well. Or yeah. is he just being him, right? I think he just started talking and they just started recording. <laughs> like, oh, this is good. Get this oh, this thing, is get really this good. Thing, get this good. And like, after it got done recording, he mm. just, he kept going. Yeah, no, no, stop, stop. Oh, damn, Mike. Like, yeah, but no, the, the movie points that out right away because even when he's talking to his boss, one of the first things his boss says when he's trying to pitch a new idea to the show to him, he's like, oh, man, I, I know your own people more than you. Like, it, it, he's just off the cuff and with this it. this is where I wanted to get into this. Yes. I know so many, because of the way that I, and I hate this, because I hate, I was saying earlier, mm -hmm. I hate the terminology of an Oreo. I was called an Oreo so much in wow. freaking school. And it's really tiresome because we were just talking about how, just because I can speak, like I got some sense. It's not that I, I'm, I'm divorced from being black. Exactly. Or I don't have a black experience that you just don't, you just don't see my black experience that the same way. You don't relate to whatever, how I speak and whatever. That's just an individual thing, but it doesn't mean that my blackness has be tied to the way I speak. But that's how people perceive me was being like an Oreo or thinking that, and you know, the thing is, it's the same insecurities you're talking about, about interracial relationships as it pertains mm -hmm. to like white women. People get insecure about how you speak and carry yourself as a black person. It, it, it draws out their own insecurities within themselves. So the first thing that they'll do is they'll come at you, and at least the, I'm not saying all black people, because that's just, the, come on now. I hope y'all know me where I'm, where I'm coming from with this. Yeah. But what it is, is that it's an insecurity being projected and a demeanor coming at you and bringing you down. 
and saying, oh, you're an Oreo or you're this and you're that because you speak better than I can, nigga. Like, okay, read a book. No, yeah, like, yeah. You know? read a book, read a book, <laughs> read a motherfucking book. Yeah, no, exactly that. Like, I, I genuinely think this is the character that people have in their head when they say, oh, you're talking white. I yes. Mean, they, they, they think this is This is like, Pierre Lacroix. And then the, in the same flip, is that you'd have either other white people saying that, oh, you sound white, which is crazy. Insanity. And this is the same type of thing where you have a white person who's trying their best to illustrate their own etch of the corner of blackness to try to take a slice off of it, you know? Even Eminem knows better than to say the word nigga. I mean, yeah. even then, he probably has enough street cred to probably get one out there, but even he then... He's wrong too, built up. Like You can't. Like, you just can't, bro. Just put it down. Even he understands that. I know, I don't, I don't have like an interview pulled up, but I know from, from at least from, like, thoughts of and other articles I've probably seen of, in the past... I I remember at least that he's always remained that yes I'm a white rapper but you know I'm still white basically like I get no, that, exactly that he's a good rapper but you know but that's just it it's people who are trying their best to get into the black experience and put you down as a black person and then say oh I'm more black than you and that's exactly what uh, his boss Mister Dumbwitty says he's like oh I know your own, your own people better than you and he just really goes on a tirade of just saying nigga this and nigga that. And he's going out of his way throughout the entirety of this film, but especially in the early minutes, the entirety of, these, uh, the entirety of this film, he's talking in what people would say is black. He's using slang. He's using very urban slang, yes. like you're saying, and, and, a, uh, and some type of cadence there, you know, not to cut you off. Mm -hmm. No, of course. And even when Marlon kind of confronts somebody, he's like, you know, don't say that word in my presence. They call me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> <laughs> He's got this, yeah, and then and, and that's what I've had an experience yeah. like this. Because to, to finish with you, I think where you're going with the, he, mm. he basically says to him, you know, yeah, stop saying the N word, bro. Like you're not allowed. Yeah. And then the guy goes, uh, uh really, uh, nigga, 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 yeah. nigga, nigga. And I've had people, I've sincerely had these experiences before. Yeah, and, and his reasoning for it is all oh, well, it's, it's like you said, people who try so hard to get into the culture. His reasoning for it is, oh, well, you know, I married a black woman. I have two biracial, two biracial kids, so I feel like I can say it. Oh, yeah, before you get... I've had people say that, oh, before you get on me, bro, I came from Seven Mile, or I came from... Oh, if those that don't who know what Seven Mile is, that is a, a street in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Detroit, um, where a lot of us are. Um, but, um, mm -hmm. but that's just it. Like, oh, I, I live over here. I grew up around black people. I got this. I got... Well, it doesn't matter what you got, bro. You're not supposed to say it. It's not yours to say. And I feel like that's the note that I have in here is yeah. like, man... Who really does get to say the N-word? Like, no, exactly that. <laughs> you know? I remember there was a time where they even tried, BET tried to ban the word, in, the N-word, like, socially. They said, that they, they came out and they basically said, this was years ago. They basically came out and said, hey, guys, you know, we get that we're BET and we're Black Entertainment, but we were, they're looking inward like, oh, we're trying to be like the Cosby Black experience, not the the 106 and park and stuff like that black experience mm. we're trying to be uh we're not we're trying to be like less that like why are we playing all this rap music it's like well at what point does what at what point does saying the n-word does do, it, it takes us down a peg and at what point is it us actually reclaiming the word back given the freedom to do things that we would like to do culturally in the world and uh, and misusing that type of representation. We have an airway. We have mm. black entertainment television. We have all this type of stuff. 
but we proceed to it, it, we to put a, an image that's pretty bad out there of us. But at what point is that being prejudiced in itself that it can't exist within itself? Right? No, exactly that. And it's one of those things where I feel like the movie also kind of has like its own little take on that because going back to it, even with his boss. He has tried to put out um, Pierre de, de la Croix. He has tried to put out those shows, like you were saying with the, the BT, the Bill Cosby Black Experience. He's tried to make shows that were more just, it's nothing different from what you would see that's on regular TV, but it's just black people instead of white people. And Exactly. And his boss is like, no, people don't want to see that. That's not what you want to do. And I, I completely get where you're coming from with that because it's like you said, at what point does it become our experience opposed to this is just what like, like, like you said at, at what point does it become we're making fools of ourselves or this is just us truly expressing ourselves and i feel like the line is really different for everyone and really every group because no two groups of black people are the same no two no. groups of any people are the same and we, and we don't have the same thoughts and it's, and, it's one of those and, things and, where we, we finally have the platform you know with these like bt one six part we exactly. have the platform to do things so i can't blame the networks for wanting to be a bit more cautious with things because okay we finally have our foot in the door we don't want to get you know our toes slammed but look what makes the most money exactly that. and yes, that's the yes, that's yes. the that's the issue and michael rapper like getting back i know we want to dig into that because mm-hmm. there's a lot of meat there mm-hmm. but going back in because i want people to understand kind of the plot line here but i suggest everybody watches all the movies we look at so it's a lot easier to digest yes but we will walk it through with you um but pierre delacroix is in this office space with his boss they're looking for a hit. They need a show. Michael Rappaport, as the boss, this snivy white dude is over here saying the N-word, being the most uh, upsetting dude in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And he's also, try- in a way, saying, oh, like you were just talking about, that's not what black people want to see, basically. Like, telling mm-hmm. us what we want to see. Yeah. And like, who the hell are you? Crazy. And straight up saying, I'm upset already, but straight up saying, I know your own people better More than, than you. you. And what gives anybody that right and that pisses me off like he really and i right he, that's on site with michael rapaport yeah um he just he does it so well and, and again at what point is that him just doing it really well or him just really thinking that way that's not here or there i have no comments on that but mm-hmm. basically moving the plot a little bit forward yes uh i think we were talking about uh he was saying before they even sat down uh, he was just trying to use things to degrade him Mm-hmm. I mean, this is another way that the black corporate or corporate America, at least he's trying to illustrate here, too. There's a lot of layers here of a white man telling you what to think, how to do what you should be doing and how people should go about it. And a man of power saying that and sticking down to you, he's asking him, like, oh, do you know what CP time is? Mm-hmm. I think you're, you're about yeah, to say, no, like, yeah, exactly that. When he asks uh, Peter, do you know what CP time is? And he gives like a textbook answer. Like, oh, color people time. It refers to how black people will show up to things and events later than what it is expected of them. It is one of those things where you see it more as the movie goes on, but he is just someone who has, in my mind, completely shed his identity and, to a larger degree, what it means to be black. And when I say that, I don't mean it as in like he doesn't talk a certain way, carry himself a certain way, but it's to the point where he pretty much disassociates himself from his own people yes and he even he even kind of hops in to make fun more of of blackness or not or i I don't know if that's necessarily i think it's kind of like ragging in on you know the black you know being black i think we all make jokes about being black 
But I feel like there's a difference of when people are laughing at you and with you. And this is also a theme inside the movie as yes, well. Yes, yes, Because he was making jokes about the color people time. I think he kept going and going and going mm-hmm. and going about it. Um, and I felt a little uncomfortable a little bit. Like he was trying to spare himself. We were getting on basically that Pierre Lacroix has to create a hit for the network. It mm-hmm. has to be good and it has to be. And he's the only color person there to, to hire to create things for basically colored people on the network or uh, audience. Um, that's the only reason why he's been hired there, from my understanding, at least for that reason. So enter in his assistant. <laughs> <laughs> Sloan, played by a Miss Jada Pinkett Smith. Man, G.I. Jane. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where maybe it's just my own ignorance or maybe this role didn't do her any favors, but the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm just like, this... This was the woman that like was just such a heartthrob back in the day. Like, uh, I mean, it was a different time, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like hindsight's twenty twenty. You don't know when a person's gonna turn into. Mm-hmm. But you know, she kind of has that like, you know, when you could look at somebody and just be like, "Oh, you got issues." Oh yeah. You like oh, yeah. as like you could look at a woman and be like, mm, mm-hmm. "It'd be fun," but no. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's kind of. Yeah, you know, she, 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 especially in this movie, you know, she does have like that very like high strung, out of order, but in control ways about herself because she's um, Pierre's assistant. And in so many words, moving the plot forward a little bit, like you said, Pierre is trying to create a hit for the network. He has to have something that, you know, is actually going to sell. So what he does, because he, and this is why I said he has almost sold his soul because really the last redeeming thing that he does is with the show that he ends up making. Is he's purposefully trying to get fired because he, he hates the notion that, oh, black people have to be seen in this certain light and that's what people want. So he kind of goes the anti-route. And how he does that is there's these two street performers who have absolutely nothing. They tap dance and they perform right outside of the um, television area. And what he decides is if black people have to be cast in such, in such a negative light and that's the only way it's going to get put on TV... He decides he's going to make a show. He's going to make a pilot that is so outwardly offensive and wrong that it'll wake people up to see how you're portraying black people and see how wrong this is. And he goes about it in quite literally the worst way possible. Yes. He creates a menstrual show. And for those of you who don't know, a menstrual show is, in so many words, a show using blackface, a show that is meant to degrade and show black people in the worst worst possible way but he has a flip on it instead of using white people in blackface he's using like he said himself black people with even blacker faces which Sorry. is such a crazy <laughs> i had to laugh at that bar no 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 you're fine because i, I was actually gonna get, get inside a little bit when he brings um the two guys um man ray and um i forget the other guy's name it's man ray and Womack, Mary and Womack. Yes. When he brings them in to uh, pitch the idea to them, he has these examples of minstrel shows. And I'm not going to lie, as fucked up as it was, I was just dying when he was going through some of the names because the one that I had to jot down here, I actually had to put two. The two that I had to jot down here was Little Nigga Jim. Little nigga Jim. That's an that's a, that's a Instagram tag. It, it really is. I, I'm like, little nigga Jim would have the best memes on Twitter, though. <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah. And who can forget classics such as 
10 little niggas. <laughs> and it's crazy because I should be laughing things, at that. No, no, exactly. That's what I'm going to get into. It's one of those things where I laugh at it, but then it makes me look at myself because I'm like, I can laugh at this because of the absolute absurdity of it and how stupid it is. But that was real for people. Exactly. And, it's, and, and that's the thing where it's like, oh, wow. But I'm really laughing at these people's experiences. And, you know, it, it might be funny now. So many years are moved and, you know, things are different. But at a point in time, there were people like, um, I forget a lot of the people's names. And honestly, I think that's the way it should be. You really should remember these black people who performed these mental shows and made a mockery of their own races. But that's how so many black people found their in. Yeah. The only way that they're going to be on TV or on Broadway or if they want a career in showbiz, they had to perform in these menstrual shows. And um, I was going to say, like, you know, that the performer... Uh, he, yeah, so Man Ray is the street performer. Yes. And they're... And I, I don't know if you told said it already, but I, I thought that they were both, like, poor. Yeah, you know, dirt poor. they're dirt poor, you know, and, and like you were saying and kind of getting back into what you were just left off on... Mm-hmm. Um, the, a lot of these black performers in these days of these minstrel shows were in these situations where they didn't have other options and other things to go, and they had to degrade themselves in order to make a living. In order to get, there's a lot of um, media out right now, and even uh, I, another movie I went to go see recently, and I feel like it's almost the same plot as Bamboozle that's mm. out right now is American Fiction. Oh wow! Okay, it is a it's Jeffrey Wright's in the movie. He's a uh, Commissioner Gordon in the new Batman movie, uh, he was excellent in this movie, and it's the same plot, basically. Um, but instead of it being a movie, it's kind of, and I feel like this, the movie's a, it's got a different commentary about something else, not to deviate our topic, but it kind of, there's a lot of depictions of degrading yourself um, to get into something, to somewhere. Even there's a movie called Babylon that was done, uh, that was a, ooh, I forget the guy's name who did La La Land. It's another movie that's pretty good. And there's a scene where he's a trumpet performer. He has to wear blackface in order to get all of his boys to get into oh, wow. uh, a jazz performance to make some money and get filmed. Huh. He had to film it in blackface. So there was no way out of it. So he had to go ahead and do it. And he quit. Like in the movie, he quits doing jazz after that. It's just such a degrading thing to go through. And blackface is something that was very harmful. Um, and, and, and Spike Lee has this thing where in multiple films, he does this, um, where he will depict the, the film, uh, Birth of a Nation. Yes. It was film. it was shown at the White House and it was, it has depictions of blackface in there as well. So there's a lot of blackface used in dot history, cartoons, and a bunch of other things that really did a number on the black community as a whole. Um, and a lot of these black performers, you know had to what other options do they have in that day when it's all ran by white people but the same thing is those same corporations are still ran by white people oh yeah (laughs) and we still coon in our own little dang on way in some ways not to say everybody coons but there's some people who do just straight up yeah that's what has to happen sometimes for you to make it is that you have to degrade yourself in some type of way and it's not really race related sometimes yeah no i'm glad you said that because that actually dovetails really nice into the next part of the movie and this is really we were talking about it last night before we came here. It's really infuriating because to move the plot along a little bit further, they do have the um, mental show. And to Pierre's surprise, people actually love it. And they don't treat it as something that's horrible and awful. 
it's actually gets a, a rousing applause and standing ovation, and they even get picked up for episodes. And that's kind of how it yes. goes. And to go back a little, just to go back a little bit too. When when uh, when Man Ray and I forget it, it was Womack. War, Womack, and these guys are being sat down and sold the deal. It's like the same thing that happens with rappers with a bunch exactly of other people. That. Oh, you're broke. Hey, homie, you got, you got no options. I mean, that's what people say all the time. Like, that's not even just like a black or white thing. People just say, "Oh, the only option I had was the military, so I had to put my life on the line, or I had to go out here." To make a living for myself because I had no other options. So I feel like people have to, you know, basically sell their souls to access and to get into something and and and, and to basically, in some ways, sell their blackness in, in some type of way or to use that as a way and it degrades you and puts you down and your and your abilities as an individual get degraded. So you know, and I think Pierre, like we were just talking about, mm-hmm. was trying to use his platform to make a message, but the message gets lost in the sauce, man. Yeah. It gets lost. And he and, ultimately becomes the thing that he that he swore to destroy because he made the show for for it not to get picked up for him to get fired and for people to realize, hey, this is really fucked up. But since people loved it and he got picked up for a show, he becomes the B side of that coin. Like you said, how people get sat down, you know, disenfranchised people, people who genuinely have less and they're willing to do anything just to make it. Yes. He becomes that villain when he, when he does it to Womack and Man Ray. He says them down knowing they're down on their luck knowing that they do anything to make a buck and he plays into that and that's one of the things where i would say that's where my anger was the most heightened in this movie because outside of those two characters you know it's a show you need more than just those two you need a cast so there's tons of black people that come to his audition willingly in blackface to degrade they're themselves. Willingly degrading themselves and i really as angry as it made me i think spike lee has such a poignant message with that point because it's one of those things like you were saying it still happens to this day and the race is irrelevant but just speaking to the black experience this is one of those things where we could use rap as an example of course you know we all love rap music it sounds great yeah. you know it's something that's played in the background right. it, it's good but it's music at the end of the day the overall message is harmful the overall message of you know selling drugs Killing people. Well, let's. Well, I want to. I want to. With the caveat here, yeah. I think rap music, and not to say that what you're going at is wrong, because mm-hmm. right, but I feel like it needs to be twisted here just a little bit. So it's like rap in itself is not bad, but the rap music being promoted. That's exactly what I was getting into. I think that's what you're trying yep. to do. I, I, yep. I think you got, I'm with you on that. That yeah. thought part. The the rap music being promoted by these large corporations, Sony Music. Mm-hmm. I put fill in the blank. Your larger uh, corporations, they're trying to sell an image. No, exactly that. Right. And that's why they choose the rappers that they choose. And, and, exactly and they choose that. people that they choose. They choose people who are disenfranchised. They choose people who aren't that educated. They choose people who promote these messages of violence and things like that. And those people are in the exact same position as are the Womacks and the Man Rays of the world. Just people who have been blessed with an opportunity and all they want is to make money for themselves and stay out the way, which you can't blame anybody for that, but it also contributes to a worse overall message. And I feel like that's what Spike Lee was trying to get into. Like we said earlier, like is the case. A lot of times black people aren't really on TV or aren't really in the forefront unless it's something super negative. So seeing black people willingly get into blackface and willingly do these things that are, that does ultimately destroying the race just to make a buck. It's one of those things where I would say I don't want to get too deep with it, but we're watching a Spike Lee movie. How can we? I mean, not? you can't. It's so late. Exactly. It's one of those. We haven't things. gotten to the mom house yet. Exactly. It's one of those things where I just, I just think it speaks to a larger issue of just systemic racism and just 
cycles and things like, you know, how ghettos are made to kind of put disenfranchised people all in one spot and they all they, they all suffer and they're worse off than other people. Because I feel like to me, it's a cycle. You know, these large corporations, these people, all this money, they go into these hoods and they go into these ghettos where they know people don't have options, where they know people are willing to do anything. Because when when your entire life has been some of the worst shit that you can possibly see, you're willing to do anything to climb out of that. And they and purposefully even... go and they curate in these environments so they can keep this message going. And it ultimately just feeds a machine that just negatively impacts black people. And like you were saying, rap in and of itself is not a bad thing. Rap, is, rap like all forms of music or art, is just expression at exactly, its core. Exactly but it's just an expression that by these large corporations is twisted into something that ultimately makes these corporations money and the people who promote these messages in the communities that suffer from it, it's just that. We just suffer from it. And I was going to say, like, um, of course, getting glitz and glamour. I don't even really give these people real wealth. They exactly. just give them the image of wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these guys, the they get screwed. Yeah, that's a lot, a lot of these guys get, they're broke. You know, and they don't really have the thoughts or knowledge about how what it means to make that type of money and how to manage it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just how it goes in the game. And like Man Ray and uh, Warlow here, Womack. Uh, Womack, my bad, not Warlow. Uh, these these guys that were brought in by Pierre Lacroix and um, and uh, Sloan, yes, um, to make this minstrel show, they degrade them so slowly. And this interview process is crazy. The writers' room is crazy in this whole thing too. Oh my too. god, the writers' room is um, insane. Because I wanted to get into kind of the image of the show before it was kind of created. Because we kind of got into when it was going on a little mm-hmm. bit, but during the creation of the show, when the network wanted to greenlight this, uh, you know, Michael Rapport loves this idea, obviously, of like, oh yeah, we should totally do this blackface thing. Mm-hmm. So they get this writers' room, and it's filled with white people. Filled with them. Or, and not to say just white people, just people who aren't black. Because <laughs> there's like an Asian lady in the room, I think, in that, in that, in the, um, but they're not black. And I feel like people, there is also a disconnect when it comes to people uh, understanding and processing what black culture really is. Because I feel like people look at rap music and like we were just talking about the image being projected and the images being shown and they think that, oh, that's what you guys do. Oh, mm-hmm. that's how it's supposed to go. Or look at the Cosby show, Cosby show and say, oh, that must be how it all is, right? Yeah. And that could be a, even a positive image that could be altered, a negative image that could be altered, because not everybody's experience is the Cosby show. Not everybody's experience is, you know, is selling drugs and killing people. Yeah. Um, that's not, there's a spectrum here of everyone's living situation. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they were going around this writer's room talking about, oh, yeah, I remember good times and yada, 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 mm-hmm. and and it's nothing wrong with having and liking those shows. There's nothing wrong with those things existing, but there is something wrong with thinking that you understand something just because you can reference a TV, a black TV show, or that exactly. you, you have something you can say. It's the same thing we talked about with Michael Rappaport earlier about, oh, just because you have a white, or you're, a, I mean, I'm sorry, a black wife and a mixed kid, you know things. So you, just because you watch two episodes of something doesn't give you the right to like understand what's going on. So we have all these, it's, it's such a layered thing. This minstrel show is being written by white people or people who are not even colored. Yeah. And like you were saying to your own point, how you were saying, you know, positive images can easily be negative images as well. Cause in that same writing room, just as quickly as it was, Oh yeah, good time. Dynamite, this and third. Pierre literally has a part in the, um, during the process where he says, 
I want you to summon up all the rage you felt when you heard when you heard the OJ verdict. <laughs> That's funny. Because <laughs> people were really mad about that. And I hate saying it, bro. The, uh, I'll, I'll take it aside in the OJ trial real quick. I have an opinion, at least a little mm-hmm. bit. I was not old enough to remember the whole damn thing. Obviously not. Mm-hmm. But one thing I think that white people were just mad about was that, oh, we played the same game as you as white people. Mm-hmm. And we did the same thing and played the same system that you guys built. Mm-hmm. And we won. You're just mad that a nigga got away with murder because it happens all the time in other communities. There's a lot of niggas with mm-hmm. money that get away with murder. So this, this man has money. He got away with murder. I'm not saying that it was morally correct. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the system was stacked. He knew how to manipulate the dance system. He had a lot of money. OJ yep. was a big name. And he manipulated the system. Mm-hmm. That nigga made a book said, if I did it. I we know he did it, nigga. Crazy I know he did If I did it, it's like a play-by-play of what happened. Like, but that's just it. Like I, I, But that's the reason why white people... And it's so hypocritical. Mm. To me, that's what pisses me off about the OJ trial. It's like, no, no, we're not mad that a man got away with murder. I mean, in some ways we are, yes. But the society is really mad about is that it was a black man that had a lot of money got away with it. And the mm. writing was on the wall and he got away with it. And we saw how corrupt the system was. But it was highlighted because he was black. Not because if that was the case, then we would. How about other trials that happen? How about other cases that we can bring up that have that these things happen? How about I don't know, freaking. I mean, we were the, the Biden case and a bunch of other things that we see that are happening right now. There's a lot of things happening right now that uh, corruption is is very much at the center of it. But the thing that you don't see is it's not a black person in front of it like that. Yeah. Like this, I feel like that's the only reason why people are mad. And granted, I don't agree about OJ. I don't. But that's it's so funny thinking about that. But that's a funny line. Going back and trying to trail us back into the movie, that's a funny line to say summoning the anger of the yeah. OJ verdict. Because, <laughs> I mean, it is messed up. But that's not why I feel like most people are mad about it, honestly, if you ask me. Yeah, no, I feel like, I mean, of course, I'm like I said, I would have to do my own research. I mean, of course, I remember hearing things as a kid and educated myself a bit as um, as I got older. Because, I mean, it, as we were coming up, it was still, you know, a really big popular topic. It, it was a popular topic for years. Yes, it was. It's one of those things where it's like you said, it really just exposed the flaws in the system. Because I remember even black people around me, like people that I know personally, this is with my own family. I remember people just going like, oh, like you said, it's all, oh, well, they just mad because a nigga did it and he got away with it. And it's like, yes, but it's one of the things where the penultimate point to me it should be nobody can get away with no, things no, no. Like that's this. The, that's what I'm trying but, to say. No, 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 no. Yeah. And, I, and I'm agreeing with you. It should be that nobody can get away with this. But the fact that all that happened was that the races were swapped, and that's what people chose to hyper focus on. I feel like, like so many points of this movie as well. Getting back on topic, it just speaks to a larger issue. Just like how black people performing these mental shows willingly speaks to a larger issue of doing anything for a dollar and just self preservation. And it's one of those things where, you know, getting back on topic, as the show gets made, Man Ray is cool with it, but Womack kind of starts to grow a conscience. I think, what is their names? It's So he tells Man Ray to change his name into Man Tan. And Womack's name is Sleep and Eat. <laughs> Sleep and Eat. Sleep and Man Tan. And they both wearing these black faces, and they do this show, and they, they film this pilot Mm-hmm. Oh man, and like the looks on people's faces. I love the look on like there were some black people laughing in the crowd, mm-hmm. and then there was some white people looking like really guilty when mm-hmm. the pilot was being filmed. Like, right, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Mm-hmm. Is this okay? Is this safe? Is this right. normal? 
And it's like a stark contrast by the time we get to the end of the film. It's like a stark, oh my stark God. Yes. contrast. Yes, yes, yes. And it's one of those things where to kind of show Pierre's kind of the, the, um, him losing his identity, he makes this show. It gets picked up. And initially, he does feel really bad about it. He's like, no, this is, the, this is not what I wanted. I wanted the people to know that this was wrong to do. But as the money starts to come in, as he starts to get the things starts that to he forget. wants. Exactly. He, he forgets who he is. And he visits his father, who is played by the late, great Paul Mooney. And one thing that I want to say is that I feel like, especially for the context of this movie, they couldn't have picked a better person. because Honestly. I, Yes. Yeah, okay, because it's not you're, you're pretty educated on Paul Mooney yourself. Yes. It's one of those things where Paul Mooney, like his character in the movie, he never really got the level of Hollywood acclaim that he could have gotten had he went the Pierre route in real life, because just like his character, and I feel like that's, that's why Spike Lee chose him, just like his character, Paul Mooney was somebody who wasn't going to bend. He wasn't going to play the game. He wasn't going to do things. That, 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 were, that was going to project his people in a bad light. And I love Pierre meeting his father because when he sits him down, he's like, oh, you know, dad, you look amazing in that orange suit. But, you know, look at where you're performing. It's, you know, it's awful. You, you deserve to be somewhere better. Why do you settle for this? And his answer is great. He just says, because I can't do all that Hollywood shit. I can't do all of that. I have my dignity. And that's what, and it, to, to, as an aside for people who don't know who Paul Mooney is, yes. I like to assume that there's like people who are like not even like in the black community at all or, mm. or not old enough to really get it too. Like, I, I can imagine like some, I don't know, like, I don't know why, but some, I don't know, 17 year old white guy, white kid looking at like, who's Paul Mooney? I mean, they just, I mean, I, I'm. <laughs> Black kids growing up nowadays don't know who Paul Mooney yeah, is. Yeah, I really do. I feel that too. Mm-hmm. I was just saying people who are not even in the, the community or even, like I was saying, old enough to even know. Exactly. But Paul exactly. Mooney was a writer for Richard Pryor for many mm-hmm. years. Many, and many he, years. And, and many of the jokes that you hear Richard Pryor, probably the most biggest jokes were written, probably written by Paul Mooney. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Mooney is a very prolific uh, comedian. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he was in the, the Chappelle show. He did yep. some things over there. But he's very highly regarded and respected, and very funny guy. And like his set that he does, even in this show, uh, this movie is hilarious about what he was talking about. Um, about this <laughs> yeah. thing. Like, you know. But you were right. Like he's, it's not a mistake that they used him in this film. It's it's true to life. It's true to the story. And I, I don't think it's a mistake that Spike Lee picked him out. I mean, you know, besides you know just being him, it's it's a great fit for a, a very good dichotomy between yes. Pierre. And his father, uh, and, and that's what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about Pierre's voice. Is that even he doesn't recognize who Pierre really is, mm-hmm. you know, coming from Harvard and stuff like that? Like, you know, dude, where'd you get that accent from, bro? Yeah. You know, no, that's not you, man. And his his dad stayed true to himself all the way to the end. And getting on kind of with the the film, uh, there was so we were talking about the tryouts earlier. Mm-hmm. about how black people were degrading themselves to get into the minstrel show and to get into uh to do the show and the Mau Mau's are this gang of guys that are a subplot in this film mm-hmm. that is the and the brother of Sloan is played by most deaf yes and most deaf is with these group of people they're like this kind of stereotypical gangster type of like I don't know spoken word type of group Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what else to kind of call it because not really. I wouldn't. Say, I think. I think gangsters kind of selling it. Kind of. Kind of short. 
but I feel like it's kind of more of a we like a, a Hebrew Israelite type of crew uh, with the Mau Mau's. Yeah. But basically, their whole thing is pro blackness and a bunch of other things, but kind of like radicalism and like kind of like a Black Panther almost type of mindset. Exactly. What he's going and to I feel it. like Spike Lee was also making a good commentary about how that's also kind of bad. No, um, exactly, exactly. And I don't feel like this movie was trying to be pro like or trying to bleat to lean into anything really. I feel like it's a commentary about all type of variances of outrage, how people process things, what people think about and how blackness is in the middle and how people process what's going on because the Mau Mau's were trying to do this audition Mm-hmm. And Pierre sees their 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 rap group. They're very aggressive. It's like NWA type of like exactly. Raw, like this is you know, uh, and he's like, Ooh, I'm just terrified. I'm scared. Yeah. I'll take this racist blackface stuff, but I'm not gonna do all this. This is weird. I don't want to see any type of black stuff for a week or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a good way to say. I want nothing to do with anything black for the next week. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm glad you said that because, like you said, even the Mamas, they're also caricatures in this movie. Because for all of their radicalism and, and like you said, pro-black, not, not none of that white stuff, da 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 in their own personal time, they're also, you know, getting drunk and they're not portraying themselves in the best light. Like, they appear as like this strong stand-up people. But they're not. But they're not at all. They're drinking Hennessy and they're drinking the H-bomb, which, uh, which is one of the things that's promoted in this movie. And not to jump around too much, but... Oh, it's not a product placement in this movie. Or yes. fake product placement. And it's honestly, I made a note of it, the fake product placement in this movie, like everything in this movie, especially the Mau Mau's and the product placement, is so much of a characterization that it literally reads like I'm playing Grand Theft Auto sometimes. It, it, yes. Like, it, like, especially like the Tommy Hill nigga commercial. That's funny. Was like, no, 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 that, that was hilarious. Like, oh, we're so authentic. Well, we even give you the bullet holes. <laughs> like, and you know, it's not a mistake too that he got a white guy to talk exactly. about it to sell to black people. And that's the, and so there's this ad time that is bought uh, during the, the minstrel show. Mm-hmm. So, so Michael, Michael Rappaport's character basically, you know, sells all this type of, of, of screen time for ads for the show. And the ads that are airing are very much digging into the black community about, oh, uh, buy this. Or all you care about is having, you know, a big penis and going at it. And here's like our Viagra commercial. It's like a, almost like a Hennessy Viagra commercial. Yeah, the thing. H-bomb. Yeah. H-bomb. Yeah, yeah. And basically, oh, yeah, you know, it's going to give you the boost and stuff. And it's all these black people. Degra- Again, it's like almost like a, a very de- degrading type of look and a view. And, and uh, it's kind of like patronizing. Exactly. Um, and the Tommy Hill nigga is literally the name of the brand in this in this in uh, this world that he created. And that's also the same brand that Mantan asked for for when he sells yep. his soul. Basically, oh, I want some Tommy Hill nigga. And, and basically, it's like that's what it is. It's like you know all this fake stuff. This Nike, the Jordans, the whatever, all this stuff. You'll sell all this stuff, but you don't have you have no dignity for yourself. And these people are mm-hmm. selling to you. And this and this Tommy Hill nigga commercial, although hilarious, yeah. Again, I was saying the white guys in the middle selling all this stuff. Oh, oh join in my corporation. You know, don't even try to get wealth and put your money into my wealth. Mm-hmm. You'll go broke trying to get all this type of clothing to look like you're something, but you're not something at all. You don't even have real something to call yourself to. That's how we are as a people. We'll blow the whole damn check and do all this stuff. And not saying all of us, but most of like the people who have these types of mindsets will blow the whole bag trying to get the new Gucci belt. It's so stupid. It's like he 40 says, so to pay on our bills, we go buy new Jordan shoes. 
And that's what it happens. And we don't even have to, we don't have generational wealth because we keep putting it to dumb stuff. It's not even stuff that you can use. It's just, uh, you, you're going to finance a, a Gucci belt. Exactly. Financing shoes. I was I was at the mall today and I was seeing just how like I, I mean I'm not saying I'm like some woke minded dude, mm. but it's obvious, bro. I was walking at Twelve Oaks Mall. I saw to my side on the stairway. There's Klarna. Klarna is like yeah. you know the, the the interest payments you can pay for 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 clothing. Mm-hmm. I'm like that's so stupid to me that I mean granted I'm not trying to judge people. Sometimes I put things on a credit card. Sometimes you can't pay it today. Absolutely. If you really need clothes, that's understandable. I'm talking about you have no clothes. But if you have clothes to your back and you want to upgrade your clothing, why are you financing $200 jeans and clothes and stuff like that? Why are you doing that? Financing clothing is absolutely That's insane, insane to me. It's not even like technology you can use for later. It's not something that, it's not, it's not something you can, it's not, what, it's what not are you investment. doing? It's not an investment in the slightest. Nothing about this is an investment. So I think the Tommy Hilliard commercial going back into this yeah. is very much like, it, it gets to the point where he's making just straight up obvious, like this is just the commentary of what's going on. No, exactly. Uh, but it's hilarious. But he's also talking about. I mean, I think too. There's this uh, moment in the H bomb commercial uh, that plays uh, in in here that basically he, uh, a woman he calls her a bitch, mm-hmm. and, and he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry, ho." Yeah, and it's like there. Also, I think he's commentating about how black men treat black women and degrade them in the way that they speak to them as well. Because no reason in hell you should be calling a woman a you know out of her name like that, like for real. In essence of, I feel like it, it directed towards other black women and how we treat them. I meant to say, no, of course, because like I said, even with the mile miles, what they are the one, the one thing in this movie that you can slightly see as some type of heroes or like a better system. And even they're not all the way there. And I really think with the, with the Mile Miles, what Spike Lee was going for and we really, we really want to talk about was the black people or just the people in, in any system who really want to see change, but they're not even the change that they want to see. No. Yes, we know a lot of people like this. There's, I have like cousins that are like this. That I mean, I had a cousin. To me, I have a lot of family in the South, so we have a lot of. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> kind of where we come from a little bit. At least my my side here. I don't mm-hmm. know, but uh, but that's kind of uh, the issue. Is a lot of these guys? Like they they told me this years ago. My cousin walked in and told me, "Hey, bro, you punched some white people yet? You punched a white boy yet?" That's crazy. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. And they don't, and they have like this type of in hatred, like just like, oh, let's just get a one up and let's do all this stuff. And let's do all this mess. And it's like, that's the type of energy the mamas give to me is like, oh man, we got to just suck it. We got to like do the most, the most stereotypical things to break stereotypes, stereotypes. Let's be, let's, let's, let's sink into violence and doing all this stuff and to, to break like our, a stereotype, but we're really sinking into the, the whole image. Yeah, no, and we're I not helping it. We're not helping it either. Because like, I, yeah, I, I think I said it last week, but if I did, not say it now. Because my experience like that is like with like just in, in my parentage, you know, like my dad would say things of, of the like, where it's like, you know, you got to go out here and you know you got to just mess with these white chicks and do them dirty, nah, 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 because that's what happened to us. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's crazy. It's one of those things where I feel like the mom always really speak to that that notion in a way too, where when you have the past generation or people who have been disenfranchised, people who have been hurt, it plays back into the cycles that I was talking about earlier, 
when you've been hurt, you want to hurt, you know? Hurt people, hurt people, bro. Yeah. And that's just how it goes. And, you know, these the Mau Mau's here, they see this minstrel show. It's broadcast throughout the entire world, and they get really like, steamed up. And a lot of people are outraged, too. There's some black, there's some sectors of, sections of black people in this film that are mm-hmm. outraged. I mean, of course, uh, a black outrage would not be uh, a black outrage without Reverend Al Sharpton. Um, he's brought up so many times. <laughs> I mean, really, it's kind of funny. He's actually in this movie. Um, but yeah, like, you know, they're doing protests and stuff outside. And like Pierre is like, you know, like we were just talking about earlier. He, stuck, he got this money. He's changing his lifestyle. You see his office upgrades. Mm-hmm. You see all this, all the stuff he's getting. And Sloan is trying to slowly warm Mantan and the rest. And, you know, um, I keep getting his name wrong. It's Womack. Uh, Womack. Uh, he bows out of the minstrel show. He can't stand being a co a host at the show anymore. And he feels the degradation. He's understanding it. And, you know, and it's solely eventually Mantan, um, or not Mantan, but Man Ray, I meant to say. Man Ray, who is Mantan in this show? Because the whole show's called Mantan's New Millennial Minstrel Show. Crazy um, title. Yes. And he's starting to realize what's going on. Basically, we see all these characters like show what they're really feeling. We we see Pierre sink down into the show. We see uh, Man Ray and um, Womack uh, deviate from the show. They're the main co-hosts. And then we also see the Mau Maus and how they take it. So it's everyone's processing the outbreak of the show in different type of ways that are also healthy and unhealthy. Oh, um, the Mau Mau's take it unhealthy. Pierre takes it unhealthy, but they're like two different spectrums, really. Mm-hmm. There's this outrage of like you know the pro black outrage in this way that is not helpful because they're using violence. Because the Mau Mau's eventually, uh, not to cut too much in, because there's like a lot of events that happen in this film. But basically, Mantan or Man Ray uh, gets out of the show. He wants nothing to do with it, and so does Womack. They get out of the show. Sloan kind of suggests that she gets, she bows out too, because she was with mm-hmm. it at first as well. She was yeah. with this whole idea, but it got out of hand for her, and she couldn't handle the whole thing either. So they're all like, "Bro, this is messed up." They got to put on blackface, um, and all these other things, and they're just like degraded, and they're they're losing their soul. So Man Ray finally gets is sick of this, and he goes out. He tries to do his his. He's like a tap dancer, basically. Yeah. So he's been tap dancing this entire time in blackface, but he finally does. He goes out without the blackface, and people are he's was it Michael Rappaport's character is outraged, yeah, just outraged about this whole uh, this guy coming out there and not following the script. And I feel like that's the same thing that happens if you're not following the script that these white people do for you, or these people of power do for you, not just white people, but they'll kick you right out like they didn't know you. And I love the line that he says when he kicks him out. He's like, "Oh, niggas like you are a dime a dozen. You think you did something? You did this." Another uh, character in the show was called Honeycut, which is just another uh, person. Who's it was just it was a dude that also was part of the um, the auditions there. Yeah. That you know he was willing to do whatever it took to yeah. get you know yes, massa type exactly. of person. And he's like, oh, you think you did something? You did this. Things like you were a dime a dozen. I'll have Honeycut in your spot next week. And I love that line because, and even the ending, what we do eventually get into it, also speaks to this mantra more. But I love that line because it just shows that. You sell your soul. You do all these things. You take these risks. And just like referring back to Effie Signifier's video, it's like those people who acted in blackface all that time ago, you do all that, you take these risks to make some money, and ultimately you get nothing for it. That's the right. network doesn't care about you. And your people, you're ostracized because of what you've done. And that plays, I mean, it, it, it pays its dividends right away because just as soon as 
Man Ray is tossed out. He's picked up right by the Mile Miles. And they pick him up. And what they're going to do and what they eventually do is they broadcast his death because they want to show what happens when you do things like this and when you, when you pretty much you ostracize yourself from the community. I really love what Spike Lee was going for with that because even with that and how they go about things, they're not right. Because when you really think about it, and I have a note of it here, like they kill, you know, they kill Man Ray right after, which speaks to a bigger issue. Like, why wouldn't you go up to the producers and the writers and say and that I, the character? And that was also in the FD Signifier mm-hmm. video there. I believe he talked about this, too, of, like, you know, and we were just saying it, too. This kind of wraps into the earlier conversation. Mm-hmm. These guys have the right idea, not about killing people, yeah. but about, let's go ahead and try to figure this stuff out. And this is outrageous. We should make it stop. But they're going about the wrong ways possible and hitting the wrong people. Exactly. At the end of the day, black people kidnapped a, a basically an innocent black man. Mm-hmm. And killed him live. Yeah. And the thing is, too, I feel like there's a commentary there as well. They broadcasted his execution live on the internet over there. Mm-hmm. This is like early 2000s, too. I don't know how those niggas got that to work. Man, bro. That, that boggled my mind. <laughs> um, but, you know, but they basically broadcasted it live and it made it legal. Basically, they had the internet streaming was put on the news for them to see yep. this dude get killed. And people were just like, oh, it's another black dude dying. And people were just, it's like an event. And these black people are killing another black man live. They had the right idea, but they were just so short-sighted within their anger. And another thing that pays dividends, because right after they kill him, the police raid the compound and they kill all of the mild mouths, all except for one. And we haven't really talked about this character too much because, honestly, I don't even know if he was named in this film. I think his name is like 116th, something like that. Yeah, exactly that. There's one guy, and I always saw him throughout the course of the movie because the few scenes where they would go to the Mile Miles to talk about what they were doing, there was always a white guy there. And yes. I was like, that's a little bit weird that he's there. And you see him, and he, he sits out in your mind because he has a couple of speaking roles, and the whole time you're like, wait, they're pro-black this, pro-black that. What's this dude doing there? Even, I, I love the way it ends out because when the Mile Miles are all killed, he's the one person left. And he even says, you should have just killed me. I'm 116 black. I'm black. I should have gone out with everybody else. But he appears white, and he's mostly white. So yes. even though he was down with the cause Passing and down with white. the message, he was spared because he wasn't black. He wasn't black enough. And it's crazy to think about that. Because what Spike Lee is saying in that scene is that that man wasn't black enough to catch a bullet. No. And he and even he was saying, you know, if I got to drop a black, it means I'm black all the way. Yeah. But that's not entirely true from like a societal sense. When they, he's like, the he's a passing white looking guy. Mm-hmm. So it's like messed up. But these guys, yeah, they, they kill a black men on live. Man, Man Ray dies. These mamas get shot up and this dude gets left alive. You know, the cops yeah. find this compound where they're at and blaze them up. Yeah, and that's the end of the movie. Basically, that not really the end of the movie, but like we're getting near to the end of the movie. This this minstrel show goes on. This toxicity goes on. This audience, like we see, like uh, I was talking about the audience in the in the show itself when mm-hmm. they're filming it. The audience goes from should I be laughing at this to wearing blackface and saying like you know Honeycutt's going through the crowd. Who's this comedian yeah. there? Going through the crowd saying, oh, aren't you a nigga? Are you a nigga? And it's like, oh, all these black people, or not black people, but all these white people, other people, or ra- other races people, that yeah. are not even, and some black people too, just all in blackface. And they're proud of it. And even one guy is like, oh, well, I'm a Sicilian nigga. So what that means is I'm more of a nigga than anybody else. And that's the same stuff, the same stuff we're talking about earlier. Like, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it all just dovetails really nicely because even at the end of it, Pierre isn't, isn't even absolved. Because before we even get to his death, he talks to his mother and you find out that his actual name isn't Pierre, it's Peerless. And she says, Peerless, you know, of course I'm proud of you for making this show and, you know, making, not, not making the show, but making your way and having your things. But son, you know, you disappoint me. Yeah, it's buffoonery. Yeah, <laughs> she said no. Buffoonery. Exactly, yeah, it's buffoonery, and, and you disappoint me. But, but I, I thought you said there'd be no buffoonery. Nah, but funny. but right by the end of it, he's so far gone. He's like, all right, mom. Well, I'll just talk to you later. And then that's when Sloane comes in with the gun because, like we mentioned, one of her brothers was one of the Mile Miles, and for us, and she tried to get um, she tried to get Man Ray out of there, and they even began to develop a, a romantic relationship. And she points the gun at him, and she says, you know. This is all because of you, which to me is also very poignant because like Peerless says right before he dies, you're just as much as guilty, guilty of this as I am. And she can't accept her blame of it. So I feel like it's funny because throughout the course of the movie, he constantly called her his lamb, his little lamb. Yes, yes. And to me, that's really poignant because at the end of the day, not her herself, but her entire life, she was the lamb that was led to the slaughter. Yes. Because at the end of the day, you you would say she lost the most because yeah this mental show does a number on black people and all these innocent people die but well innocent people die but at the end of the day she's the one that lost her brother she's the one that lost a potential partner and all for this show that she helped push up and that she helped propagate and she eventually shoots Pierre and leaves and says oh well you made me do this taking no accountability of anything she's really the one person to kind of get away out of all this with her life outside of Mr. Dunwoody yeah and as he's dying, it's two things I want to touch on. As he's dying, he says, you know, as my life force oozed out of me, as I lay there dying, I realized my mistakes. But, you know, be sure to tune in next week for the exciting episode of Mantan's new millennial menstrual show. And it just further, and to me, that really encapsulates the idea, just like with Man, uh, Man Ray, of yes. you sell your soul and by the end of it, you have nothing. But the notion of tune in next week, to me, that, that, that's really poignant because, yeah, you did this and it was awful, but it doesn't stop with you. There'll be another person There'll who will sell their soul. And another person and another person will put you right back in. And it was mm-hmm. just like, I think Paul Mooney says this in one of the last lines that he says to uh, Pierre. And I think it was him that said, you know, I got to keep him laughing. Yep, he did. Yep, he did. You got to keep him laughing. And that was the last line of this movie. It's like, you got to keep him laughing. It just zooms in on Mantan with the black face and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's like, and I was just thinking about the kind of the, uh, the meta message of this whole thing is that, wait a minute, is it, isn't um, Spike Lee making like a meta commentary about a guy making and trying to get funding for a show to show the satirical nature of blackface? And then also showing that, you know, you aiming to do that satiricalness is also a problem, but he's also illustrating this whole thing as himself doing yeah. it. No, exactly. So exactly. you had to ask people, because he has a lot of people in here in blackface, kids in blackface, people in blackface, all the stuff in blackface. It's like you yourself making this message had to, in some way, do something that was kind of degrading in a way. Not to say that was like, the, of course, we understand the message of the story, right. but in itself existing, right. is it was that also worth it in some type of way too? I thought I took it as like a meta commentary in on itself. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with that. And before we close things out here, because I do want to talk about it because it's one of the most poignant things in the entire movie. And that is the man ray or the, the man tan mantra. The man tan mantra was pretty much 
there was a woman who came in and she had a degree in like black studies and she had this pretty much this hit this hit list of things that you're supposed to say to avoid accountability and to me it's so poignant because so much of it is still used to this day like one of her examples was oh well who decides what's really black anyway you know hey i'm just a harmless black guy making a tv show there's no way i can be racist and there's so many things because and I hate to sound so scatterbrained with it, and I feel like FD Signifier makes an amazing point of it, where you can kind of see that Spike Lee, in a lot of ways, he kind of foretold the rise of people like Tyler Perry and of these people who will propagate and put black people in a horrible light to line their own pockets. And the excuse is always, oh, well, hey, I'm black, so how can I be racist? Or, oh, Yeah, hey. I'm the least of it, so why are you getting on me? Oh, because I'm making money, I'm doing this, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. No, but that they, but that's what the studio was trying. You're right. They were trying to get ahead of the show and the controversy because it's such a controversial show to put mm-hmm. on TV. But it ended up again. It it backfired for Pierre. They were prepared for these types of things, and the mantra was like, you know, that's the same thing you see on interviews with Tyler Perry. The same mm-hmm. thing you see on any type of thing with a black, uh, a well-known black um, creator that's doing something that's kind of. Putting down his own people, but Put, yeah, putting down mm-hmm. his own type of people that's kind of derogatory in and 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 some type of way for of uh, the culture, um. But no, but yeah, like the um, foreshadowing is crazy. But it was happening. It's history just repeats itself. Oh, no, and in my mind, that's what he was going for. Like it's happening, even even with the end of the movie, it's happening, and it's gonna keep happening. You know, as long as there's people who have money and people who don't, it's gonna keep happening. But that's crazy, though. Like, I had to think about that. And it made me think, like, damn, am I being helpful to the community and the vision and everything? Have I? I'm not to say that I have a platform that's huge enough to to be that conscious of, but, mm-hmm. like, you know, how I carry myself, how I go about life. Have I done something? Because I've had times where I feel like I've taken jokes too far by my own people. I've had times mm-hmm. where I feel like maybe I have, I got to, like, think about it. Like, maybe if I'm writing something mm-hmm. and I'm doing something, I don't realize I have my own type of twisted view on something that I need to get corrected, you know? Um, that's the same thing I thought about interracial relationships we were talking about. I feel like this yeah. kind of peers back into myself, like, damn, am I part of the problem, too? And it made me think about that, because I feel like this movie is also, like, a message to the viewer of, like, you know, keep dancing, keep going, you have to keep doing this, because even Spike Lee has to do it, because I feel like I, the FT Signifier points to this as well in his YouTube video about this film. But it was like he. This film was made on a ten million dollar budget. It was very cheap yeah, back in the very, day. Very, very cheap. They were filmed on camcorders, yeah, they, and they were like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And he and he filmed the uh, the man the, the mantan bits in, on sixty millimeter film to give it that really type of um, I don't know film older type of film look to mm-hmm. it that was purposeful. Oh, but this, this movie only made I think it was like five hundred. It was like one million. I think one point five million or something like yeah, that. Yeah, completely flopped. Yeah, yeah, flopped all the way. But that, but that's just it. Like he, I don't know. I was trying to look up where he got this funding from. I wasn't sure if that was out of pocket or some other funding somewhere where he got it. But you know, it was hard to. You can only imagine it was hard to find this, and he had to go to other white, generally white owned corporations to get this distributed. Yeah, you know, it's it's even in itself as a message. It's. They're still being persistent today about mm-hmm. wh- how, what it takes to, to make a film to even comment about making films. Yeah. Because that's a, the, the same thing I was talking about with American fiction is the same thing to the film that's out right now that's almost in a similar sense as well. And I feel like that'd be another uh, good film to maybe do like a, I don't know, maybe a short or a bit on uh, one of these days. I feel like it's a really good like, movie. And you know, I, I, I'm going to check it out after this. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I feel like this film is excellent. 
it was another layered, layered, layered thing. Because I feel like we'll go so long talking about something here on the podcast, mm-hmm. and there's so much to talk about, and there's so many things. You need to go forward, backwards, forward, backwards. Yeah. And I hope that it came cohesive for everyone there because it's like a lot of like, ooh, you know, but th- that's mm-hmm. a Spike Lee film for you that yeah. you'll you'll pick up something later down the line that makes sense to what you saw earlier. And he was trying to comment on these all these 15 different subplots that make a, a really nice message at the end of the day. So. Yeah. yeah like, like you said, I really hope it did, it did come out cohesive, but it's one of those things where Spike Lee makes you think. Yes. And not about one topic. Spike Lee makes you really dissect the whole damn thing. So... It's one of those things where I love and hate Spike Lee movies. I love them for the fact that he signs a light on these things and he shows us and he shows a lot of people who may be misinformed or didn't know and he gets a lot of messages out there. But I hate it because of the message. And the message is always grim because the message is real. There's no sugarcoating. And a lot of his films, it has the notion of and it's just gonna keep happening. And it and it's and it's already out your front door. That's like basically like mm-hmm. the whole thing. I don't think I've ever seen a Spike Lee movie end just jolly old great for everybody. I don't think it's possible. I don't yeah. think it is because this this will persist, and that's the sad part that this month is over, but the struggle will always be remain, and it won't matter. Not to be all like cheesy, but that's just the freaking truth that there's nothing that stops my black experience every day. And it's in the back of my head all all the time, and I can't just write a movie. I can't write a film because it's like, no, I'm a black man writing a movie or a film or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Because I like to write things all the time, where I'm not just a black man. I'm a you know, or a person. I'm a guy doing this who is black. So and it's it the sucks. same thing. Like, like you said, it sucks that at the end of the day, you're a black man before you're even a man. That's it, and I have to keep that aware. And that's the film is making that a known too when uh you know the film is making. Because, again, there's a lot of meta commentary on that, but I feel like, you know, again, excellent film. I think people should check excellent this out. Um, it is on Amazon Prime and on Vudu, and that's mm-hmm. like, uh, what is it, like three bucks, something like that? Yeah, it's four it bucks running on uh, Amazon. Yeah, so definitely it's worth it. Try it out. Definitely come back in. Um, but uh, maybe if you didn't listen or you didn't uh, watch the movie before, maybe hearing us talk about it after you watch the <laughs> film, you'll, it'll come out a little more cohesive. But um, we thank you yet again for listening in on the podcast this week with us. Well, thank you so much. And Vernon, where can the people find us? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. They can find us on a bunch of different feeds here. We have our website, of course, at rss.com slash zoomcast at Z-O-O-M-P cast you can go ahead and look us up there the zoomcast podcast is right there you we have it on spotify we got amazon music um i have yet to put us on apple yet it's been a kind of a struggle but not today we're gonna get that figured out (laughs) as soon as possible but we're gonna be on apple music um we're on google play podcast so you can listen to us there um we're also on deezer And uh, I think that was like all of it. Spotify, Our Heart Radio. Yeah, yeah, Our Heart Radio, like all of those places. Look us all up. We're right YouTube there. You can Google soon, us. YouTube soon, baby. YouTube will be soon. It's going to be glorious. Can't wait. Oh, man. We're going to have videos up here, hopefully, here soon. So we'll have all that stuff in there for you. So we're going to be looking real crisp. We got some new equipment in. So I'm really excited for the future of Zoomcast. I'm really excited to hear. No, and and we, we just, both of us, we just can't wait to give you guys this more stellar content. And soon enough, start bringing guests on. And, you know, it's not a mistake that we would get all this stuff during Black History Month. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will persevere. <laughs> <laughs>
But thank you so much for listening. I've been Ron. I'm Vernon, and thank you for listening to the Zoomcast podcast. Join us next week as we continue further, and there's going to be more treats ahead. I promise you that. Thanks again.